I love you guys. Just want to say that. I love you guys as uh, we started, when we started this church. And man, I've grown since we started this church. And uh, one thing I've noticed is, um, man, I'm grateful that God has grown me um, in love uh, for his people, uh, for you all. And uh, I love his church. I love his people. And uh, I just want to say that I'm, I'm grateful for all of you. Uh, man, today begins a new study. Uh, are you guys excited about that? Yes. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I love starting new studies, something fresh, something new. But today uh, begins a, a new study in uh, the Psalms. Uh, I don't know how often you guys get into the Psalms. Um, I get into them a, a, a decent amount, but uh, we're going to go through some Psalms. And the, this, this study is called uh, Ascent. Uh, it's called Ascent. And there's, man, there's about 150 psalms, uh, not about, there is uh, 150 psalms um, that were written by, by King David and other Hebrew song writers. And uh, these are songs. Uh, the psalms are songs. And uh, they're songs that give praise and thanksgiving to God for, for who he is, for uh, what he has done, what he is uh, doing, and what he's going to do in the lives of these Hebrew song writers. And uh, man, they really touch us today in deep ways as, um, as, as we are God's people. And also there's uh, lots of psalms of uh, laments, um, crying out, suffering, uh, struggle, um, all kinds of things like that. Uh, these Hebrew songwriters dealing with their own sin. And uh, we can really relate to uh, these cries, these songs that these uh, writers um, are, have written. We're going to walk through a particular section of the Psalms, uh, Psalms 120 to 134. Uh, they're called uh, the Songs of Ascent. They're called the Songs of Ascent, and uh, it's a very distinct section with a very specific purpose. And uh, basically, uh, three times per year, uh, the Jews, they traveled from far away to Jerusalem to participate in the great worship festivals. Uh, they traveled three times per year to Jerusalem to participate in these worship festivals, and they were long, slow journeys by foot, because they didn't all live in, in, in Jerusalem. They, a lot, many of them lived in the outskirts. Uh, and far away um, in, in, in the Palestine. And they were long, slow journeys by foot through the desert wilderness. And they seemed like they would never end. They seemed like they would never end. And these 15 songs are believed uh, to have been sung by these Hebrew pilgrims on their way to the Jerusalem temple. Um, that's what they were believed. Now, uh, they didn't write these songs for the specific purpose um, for these journeys, uh, these were songs that were written by, by Hebrew uh, psalmists. And uh, the, the, the pilgrims, uh, they, they um, just identified with these psalms and they, they used them for their journeys. And really, if you think about it, these, it's really kind of like a soundtrack. This is the, these songs are like a, a soundtrack uh, for their journeys. You know, when you're just chilling in your car, you're going on a trip and you, you probably have a soundtrack. You know, I know my wife's soundtrack and it's got a lot of corny songs on it, um, like Life is a Highway, by, that's one of them. Um, <laughs> but this, this is basically what this is, is these psalms, uh, these 15 songs are like a soundtrack for these Hebrew pilgrims as they would travel three times per year uh, to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. Jerusalem, I don't know if you've been there, um, but it's on like a mountain, it's on a mountain. It's the highest city in Palestine. So they spent much of their time literally ascending. 
They spent much of their time literally ascending as they marched through the desert wilderness. Um, and, and these psalms also, uh, they actually they reveal a spiritual ascension. They also represent a spiritual ascension. And they sing out a life that's lived increasingly upward to God. They sing out a life that's lived increasingly upward to God. There's that saying, uh, the days are long, but the years are short, right? The days are long, but the years are short. And that can be true of a, of a lifetime walking with Jesus. You know, for me, it's been 10 years since I started following Jesus. And man, it really feels like that. The days are really long, especially now with kids and craziness. The days are really long. The, the years are short. Um, and man, it's been a long 10 years. Uh, it seems like it's flown by. Uh, but the days have been long. They have been long. And uh, like those journeys by foot, like those journeys by foot that these pilgrims uh, were going on, a relationship with God is anything but quick. It's anything but quick. It's anything but fast. It is long. It's slow. And it takes great endurance uh, to follow Jesus throughout our lifetime. It takes great endurance. You see, now, if we look at, at the world and, and what we see in the world, we, we really live in a hurried world, do we not? We live in a, a really hurried world. We live in a world that's impatient for results, uh, impatient for results. The world conditions us uh, for short attention spans, short attention spans. We're a culture of shortcuts, right? We're, we're a culture of shortcuts, it's a world where anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. And if something can be done, it must be done quickly. It must be done quickly and efficiently. Where everything is dispensable. We're bred to be tourists in the world. Everything is dispensable. When something no longer serves its purpose for me, we toss it aside and move on to the next latest and greatest. We toss it aside and move it on to the next latest and greatest. The way of the world can easily bleed into our walk with God. The way of the world can easily bleed into our walk with God. Coming to faith is one thing. Sustaining faith is another thing. Sustaining it on the long road is another thing. It's a long, slow walk. You know, there's millions of, uh, of people that make a decision for Christ, but Evidence for mature Christian discipleship, evidence for mature Christian growth is actually really slim. Man, the attrition rate is high. The attrition rate is high because when we come to, to know Christ and to follow Christ, a lot of, a lot of people we go into faith thinking, oh man, like I've got God on my side. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything is going to be great. And we find out that that's just not true. That's just not true at all. You know, there's a great market for quick religious experiences. A great market for quick, loud religious experiences. And there's little interest in the patient acquisition of virtue, an author said. There's little interest for the patient acquisition of virtue and holiness. There's little interest to sign up for a long apprenticeship. Everybody wants it quick. We want it now. And there's little interest to sign up for a long apprenticeship. We want it in a hurry with as little discomfort as possible. And these psalms, 
man, these psalms walk us through this, what Christian discipleship looks like. What this advancement, what this growth with Christ, with God, looks like in our lives. And today is actually, today is the genesis. Today is the genesis of a relationship with God. It's the beginning. That's what Genesis means. The beginning. This is where it all starts. This is where a relationship with God starts. This is the Genesis, what we're going to see today. So let's get into the text. It says this. We're in Psalm 120. And it's also there on the screen. The psalmist says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. Sometimes I wonder, like, how would they sing this, you know? Like, instead of just reading it, like, how, how did they sing it? Like, we don't know. Sometimes, just the other day, I was actually singing it. <laughs> I won't do it here. It was really weird, but... It's true, it's a song. This is a song. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I made my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The Psalter, the psalmist, knows well the world that he lives in. He knows it well. He views his world realistically. He doesn't view it idealistically. He views the world around him realistically. And what we're seeing here is this dude is fed up. He's fed up. I mean, he is fed up with the world around him. He's fed up what he sees in the world. He's fed up with these people around him. The lying. The deceit. The lying tongues. Man, he is just fed up with it. His world is restless with rivalry. Does all this sound familiar? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. His world is restless with rivalry. He's surrounded by deceit. He's surrounded by people who are lying to him. He's surrounded by people that are lying about him. We see this so much in our world, in the media, and the news. We don't know who, like, we don't know what's true, do we? We don't know anymore what's true and what's not true, what's false. We don't know what the real story is. As we watch all these things play out in our world on the news, he's fed up with it. He's fed up with sojourning, with, with dwelling in these towns called Meshech and Kedar. Meshech and Kedar are these places that are far from Israel and that they were inhabited by these barbarous tribes that were far away from God. They were divorced from God. And this, this Israelite, this, this Jewish uh, psalm writer is in these towns and he's just fed up with it. He's fed up with it. And the arrows and coals he speaks of are, are God's judgment that will come upon them. They're God's judgment that will come upon them. The ways of Meshach and Kedar are probably competing with his own heart too. Does that happen to you in the world? In the world? Lots of things just competing with your heart. Competing for your loyalties. Competing for your loyalties. Whispering to him to, to come, come with us. 
Come with us. Do your life our way. Do your life the world's way. Now, God, he's not real. No, don't worry about him. Come to us. Do your life our way. He's tired of it, man. This guy is tired of it. He is fed up. Man, you know, you know, songwriters in music today, they, they write their songs based on real experiences, you know? I think Taylor Swift is, like, big on that, you know? Like, all of her songs are about past relationships and all that drama and all that stuff. That's what this is. This guy is just writing his experience down into a song. He's tired. He's fed up of it. He's at his wit's end. He's at his wit's end. One word from this text about this text, one word is the genesis of a long ascension with God in this life. What we're seeing here in this psalm, one word that we're going to talk about, repentance. Repentance. Man, what is repentance? He's repenting. He's repenting. What is repentance? Repentance is, is turning away. It's turning away from the ways of the world. It's turning away from sin. It's turning away from the sin we see in the world. It's turning away from the sin that's in us. That's in all of us. It's in me. It's in you. It's in everybody. It's turning away from these things and moving toward God. Turning to God and His ways. Turning to God and His ways. You see, He's making a separation from the world's. He's in pain. He's tired of it. He's at his wit's end. He's struggling. He's in pain. And he's making a separation from the world. You know, for all of you guys that are like in, 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 in uh, uh, work in hospitals, I don't know. I know my wife works at a hospital. Um, there's these things called adhesions. You guys know what adhesions are? Adhesions are when uh, organs, they become stuck to each other. They start to attach to each other. And it's really, really painful. And the way to, to do it is uh, you just have to do a, a surgery to just uh, to cut the organs away from each other. It's really, really painful. It's really painful, but it's really, really healthy. It's really, really healthy. It hurts. Making that separation hurts, but it's really, really, really healthy. Repentance isn't saying sorry. It's not saying sorry. You know, you can say sorry and not mean it. You can say sorry and not mean it. It's conviction acknowledgement. It's conviction acknowledgement and a decision, despite whatever my feelings are. You know, my daughters who are four and a half and two and a half, they always say sorry. Whenever they do something to each other, we have them say sorry. But let's be honest, they don't mean it. <laughs> they don't mean it. They just, they just go back and just keep doing what they're doing. Bullying each other, hurting each other. And every day, I'm sorry, sorry. And then it's... <laughs> they just go back to it. I, I know, they're kids. They're kids. They're little kids and they're learning and they're growing. But man, come on. Even us as adults, we often, we say a lot of sorries, but we never turn. We say sorry, but we never turn away from what we're doing. We never actually turn away 
from, from what we're doing. There's that, there isn't that conviction, acknowledgement, that decision. You know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. The acknowledgement that this is wrong, that I have done wrong. What we see in the world is wrong. And turning the other way. And turning the other way. It's deciding that you have been wrong about the world. You've been wrong about yourself and who you are in this world. You've been wrong about these things. That's where this ascent begins. That's where this ascent begins. The road forward with God always begins with being fed up. With being fed up. Being tired of it. Being tired of being dominated by sin and dominated by the lies and the deceit of the world and even the lies and the deceit that are seeping into our own hearts. You know, when the world is really affecting us, we start lying, we start deceiving, and we're just tired of it. That's where this begins. That's what this psalmist is going through. And he's repenting. You know, repentance is a, is a, is a really dirty word in our culture. It's a dirty, it's a bad word in our culture. Is it not? People don't like that word repentance. People don't like confess. Those are, those are dirty words in our secular culture because repentance implies guilt. Repentance implies guilt. And in our culture, guilt, guilt is an unnecessary institutional construct that's created to manipulate people to behave better. That's what our world, that's what our culture thinks. So guilt, it's, it's not really guilt. Our secular culture believes that we're not created by God, so any, any forms of morality, that's just us creating that. And it's not right. So we say what's right and wrong. We say what's right and wrong. Why would I have to feel guilty about something if I believe it's not wrong? That's what it is. That's what our culture does. In our culture, there's no moral absolutes. We define what's right and wrong. We do that. So we don't need to repent based on my definitions of right and wrong. So repentance isn't even necessary. Why would I repent for something that I don't think was wrong, even though it was? The biblical view, man, the biblical view of repentance is absolutely beautiful. I'm telling you right now, guys, I want you guys to leave here with just a newfound, if you don't already, a newfound view of repentance, of what, what repentance is biblically. It is such a good thing. It is a gorgeous thing. It is a beautiful thing. It's a good word. It's not to be afraid of. It's to embrace. Repentance is a gift. It's a blessing. It's a grace. It's not a pain, but it's a joy. Repentance is a joy. Look at these scriptures and acts on the screen. 11.18, God has, granted, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That leads to life. In 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul was writing to Timothy, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to knowledge and truth. Leading to knowledge and truth, of truth. Proverbs 28, there's so many scriptures on repentance, it's ridiculous. I couldn't have them all, but man, these are the ones that really like impacted me. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals transgressions will not prosper. 
He who confesses and forsakes, he who repents, will obtain mercy. Will obtain mercy. Repentance is a leader. It's not holding you back. It's okay to repent. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful, good thing. Repentance is a leader. It leads to wonderful things. It's a catalyst towards holiness. And when we don't repent, life, truth, mercy, life, truth, and mercy are out of reach. Not because God is moving away from us. God never moves away from us. It's us. It's us who move away from God. It's us who move away from Him. So the Psalter, man, he is moving in on God. He is moving in on God. He is obeying the command of repentance, and he's enlisting the gift of repentance. He's enlisting the gift. It's a grace. He's enlisting that gift. His repentance is leading him somewhere. He's calling out to the Lord, and he's getting an answer. He's getting an answer. This is leading somewhere. You know, my 10 years of following Jesus, and my 10 years of following Jesus, uh, my greatest growth has come from sin and then repentance. My greatest growth... But the seasons of greatest growth have come when, when I'm working out the sin in my life and then uh, there's repentance and then God, I, I just, I, I experience God's grace and his grace empowers me and it reshapes me progressively a lot slower than I want. A lot slower than I want. But man, if I just stick to it, God is going to reshape me through my sin and through my repentance. Man, let's like practically apply this a little bit really quick. You know, there's, actually, there's, there's two kinds of repentance. There's two kinds of repentance. This repentance is such, it's good stuff. There's, I call it macro repentance, right? Macroeconomics, um, that's just like higher view, like, uh, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? Macroeconomic, macro, macro repentance. This, that's salvation, Salvation repentance. It's vertical between us and God. We cannot be in a relationship with God without repentance. Can't do it. It is not possible. It's not possible. We can't be in a relationship with God without repentance. John the Baptist said, he said, look, look, look at the order of it all. He, he cries. He cries out, repent. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Jesus, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And it all starts with repentance. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then there's micro-repentance. I call micro-repentance. Micro-repentance is that practical like uh, repentance that's horizontal in our relationships. Uh, you know, whether it's a marriage or friends or co-workers or, or stuff like that. It's, we can't grow in discipleship in our lives without consistent daily repentance. We can't do it. We can't do it. 
We can't prosper in relationships without those small daily practical repentances, those acknowledgments of sin. We can't do it. We can't do it. Too many relationships are at a stalemate because we refuse to acknowledge that we're wrong. We refuse. One or both people just refuse to acknowledge that they're wrong. Marriages fail. Marriages fail woefully because one or both spouses refuse to acknowledge that they're wrong. That practical repentance. They just refuse to acknowledge that they're wrong and then maybe they do, but maybe it's more like I'm sorry and they don't turn away from it. Marriages. Relationships between parents and children are estranged because one or both refuse to acknowledge that they're wrong. My dad's dad died like five years ago, I think, something like that. My dad hadn't seen him since he was like 18 or 19. My, my dad's dad, so my grandfather, who I never met, he did some things that he shouldn't have done. And uh, my dad and his dad got in a big fight and his dad left, never saw him again. Never saw him again for the rest of his life. 40 plus years. My dad and his dad estranged. His dad just refused to acknowledge that what he did was wrong. My dad refused to pursue him any longer. Two stubborn men just refusing to, to repent. To acknowledge that, that one or both of them was wrong. And they missed out on a lifetime of a father-son relationship. And I know it affects my dad today. Pride and stubbornness slowly kills relationships. Repentance prospers our relationships. Remember that Proverbs, what it said. Whoever conceals transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Repentance keeps us honest. It keeps us humble. It keeps us transparent. It keeps us in, in those ways. And when we're hardened to it, when we refuse to do it, and when we harden ourselves to repentance, honesty, humility, transparency go out the door. That go, it all goes out the door. It disappears. And with it goes life, truth, and mercy. With it goes life, truth, and mercy. So wh where is the endurance? Where is the, this is a long road. And it begins here with repentance. Where is the endurance? As we, as, we, as we go through these psalms, the endurance and repentance is in the truth that we will always be battling sin in this life. We always will. I will. You will. We will always be battling sin in this life. Repentance, it's not a one-time action. You know, it starts with that macro repentance. That's a one-time action. When you repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are saved. You don't have to repent again. When it comes to salvation, that's a one-time action. Man, but, when it but when it comes to that, that micro-repentance, it's not a one-time action. We need to be repenting daily. Daily of our wrong. Daily of our sin. It's a daily action that requires endurance. It can be kind of like overbearing, you know? Because we forget these things that I'm going to explain right now. 
There's, there's these things in our lives that we will have to repent of over and over and again. And you may ask yourself, God, when is this going to end? When am I going to stop sitting this sin? When? When is this going to stop? You know, you, you feel yourself getting fed up. Fed up about it. You're fed up about it. When is this going to stop? Well, when we sin, first we have to remember this. This is part of the endurance. When we sin, we first remember the cross. We first remember the cross. And we remember that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself in our place. So what that means is when we sin, God's not mad at us. He's not angry. He's not mad at us. Jesus took his, angry, his anger upon himself. When we sin, God is not mad at us. But man, do, boy, do we act like that a lot. Do we forget that? When we sin, we feel like God's mad at us. God is not mad at you when you sin. And when we remember that, then we repent. Then we repent of our sin and we redirect our heart to him. We, we put on our bootstraps and we keep following Jesus. We keep following Jesus. This is the formula every time. This is the formula every time. When we sin again, do it again. <laughs> every day, do it again. When we sin, remember the cross, repent, and keep going. That's part of the long road. That's what the long road is. And man, it can be overbearing, just repenting day after day. But you got to remember that God is not mad at you. He's not angry with you. Jesus took that anger upon himself. We keep enduring in repentance, this beautiful gift. Keep repenting and being filled with God's grace because that's how I've grown in my relationship with Jesus. When I struggle with the sin, I remember the cross, repent. I'm filled with God's grace, his life, his truth, his mercy, and allow his grace to reshape you. It takes time. It takes days and days and weeks. Man, months, years of just continual, consistent repentance, experiencing God's grace, and allowing that to reshape you. Allowing that to reshape you. Are you fed up? Man, are you fed up with the world? Are you fed up with maybe the world in you? Man, is, is the world just kind of bleeding into you, bleeding into your heart? And you recognize this? Are you, are you fed up with it? Are you tired of it? Are you at your wit's end with it? Struggling in your marriage with sin, whatever it is, relationships, coworkers. Man, are you fed up with it? Because Christian discipleship doesn't start until we lose our appetite. Until we lose our appetite for the ways of the world. We've got to lose our appetite for the ways of the world before we can acquire an appetite for God's grace. You know, we've got to look at the world and be like, this is ridiculous. I'm tired of this. And when we lose that appetite for that, we can gain an appetite for God's grace. For His grace. We've got to be disgusted with the way things are before we can advance into what can be. 
We've got to be disgusted with it. This psalmist is disgusted. He's disgusted. Taking a step toward God means taking a step away from the ways of the world. If we want to go high, if we want to ascend, if we want to go high, we've got to go low. Man, we've got to go low first in humility, repentance. If we want to go high, we've got to go low. We've got to go low. If you want in with God and his peace, you have to get out of the ways of the world and its deception. If you want to be in on God's peace. This is the genesis of our ascension with God. This is our, the genesis of our discipleship. This is the genesis of our growth as Christians in our relationships. This is the genesis of a relationship with God, with salvation. And this is the genesis Man, of everything that we experience in our lives and the growth we can experience in the grace of God. Let's pray.